Thank you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we show that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Here is your host, Chase Green. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green, and today we have Brett Rutherford with us again for the fourth and final time as we wrap up our discussion on the flood of Noah. We've been talking about the flood myths of various uh, nations around the world, and then we show how the Bible is not a flood myth, it's, it's the truth about the global flood that actually happened, and uh, all these other nations, they kind of picked up on that and and added their spin to it, if you will, and gave us various flood myths that are really evidence of of that common history of the global flood. So we're going to continue our discussion of that in this week's episode of the podcast, and we'll begin that momentarily. But before we do that, I want to highlight one of our Scattered Abroad Network podcasts for this week. And this week, we're going to highlight the Transformed podcast with Caleb Rutherford. Paul told us in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Transformed podcast aims to help you live out that verse. It's so easy to be like the world, but God demands something different. He demands transformation. The Transformed podcast wants to help you be transformed into the best that you can be for God. So I hope that you will look up this podcast on our website, scatteredabroad.org. And I hope that you would be transformed as a Christian. Well, let's get into our final discussion with Brett Rutherford on the flood of Noah. What about somebody who says, well, uh, you're you're talking about a long list of myths. And then they say, well, Genesis is just one of those myths with all the other myths. How would we answer that? Well, you have to sort of look at, uh, I think there's several ways to approach that. Uh, you have to look at uh, the integrity of those myths. So you have to examine those myths closely and look at the elements in those particular myths uh, to, to pick out what's truthful and what's not. Uh, and so it has to be the, um, you have to look, look at the consistency of, of the message and the purpose, I think, that the myth is given. Uh, when we talk about all of these other ancient myths that we talked about that are found all over the world in the various mythologies of these people, there's, there's not a reason given. Well, there is sometimes, but uh, a lot of times they just mention that this event happened. So I think you need to have a purpose, you have to have a reason. Now, the common factor when a reason is given is that God is displeased with mankind uh, for corruption in some way. So. I think you have to have a motive uh, for the flood. Why was the flood delivered? So that eliminates a lot of these myths, I think, that talk about the flood. They're not talking about something true. But there has to be a motive or a reason that's given. Now, the Bible, of course, gives a very good reason and its uh, its purpose, and it's more detailed uh, than anything else. Uh, And God explains himself. Uh, You know, God is justified. He specifically mentions the kinds of wickedness uh, that mankind was involved in, and their state was absolutely hopeless. There was no other solution 
that to uh, turn to a flood. So you have to have, I think, when you're looking and assessing the historical accuracy of a document, you have to have all of those elements, those detailed elements that describe a reason or a motive uh, or a purpose uh, for a uh, for God sending this flood. Uh, so those are given in the greatest detail in the book of Genesis. Then you look at the biblical account as a whole, as a part of a greater document, uh, and you have to assess the, the accuracy of this document. Is this document in other ways accurate? You know, and so you're not just looking then at the flood, you're looking at other elements, uh, other historical elements uh, and events in the Bible, and you're assessing those uh, as well. And of course, when you put the Bible through those tests, it comes out, of course, uh, shining and, and perfect. So uh, in its historical representations. And so when you consider that, you think, well, this is in the context of historical truth. Uh, so that also is a factor. When you look at these myths, uh, for example, the ancient Sumerian myth, you see a lot of other sort of uh, strange and bizarre and unexplained uh, myths when you talk about, you know, a lot of these flood events are in connection with, um, you know, the gods fighting with each other and, uh, you know, killing each other. And obviously, you know, when you're talking about a divine being, a real divine being doesn't engage in that kind of thing. Those are human things. Uh, when you talk about other events that are just uh, too fantastic to believe as well. So I think you have to look at the document as a whole uh, as well when you consider each of these events like the flood. Uh, so that's how I would approach it, you know, and say, well, let's look at the document as a whole. Is what we read in the Bible accurate? Uh, you know, with the flood aside, let's put the flood aside for a moment. Let's look at the other accuracies of the Bible and uh, you can look at historical, scientific, and other things as well. And let's see if this document is reliable. We can depend upon it. So I think that also is setting the foundation to establishing whether or not uh, it's, uh, it's true. I think we can establish from the evidence that we've already pointed out uh, that uh, <laughs> you know, the flood did happen. Uh, and I think when you look at the document as a whole of the Bible, then, and you look at uh, the fact that the flood is referred to not just in isolated chapters in the book of Genesis, but as you pointed out, Jesus refers to it in Matthew 24 and considers it a historical event. Um, and uh, you look at it, for example, in Josephus, who was a historian of the first century, he also uh, abused it as a historical event. And so you look at those things and uh, those elements as well, and I think all of that uh, it has to be taken into consideration. So the Bible as a whole is an accurate historical document, and it's hard to argue that, that it's not. So uh, you have to look at the Bible, the flood rather, in connection with that as well, that that's a part of it. Right. Yeah, there's lots of evidences uh, that show that the Bible is true. Countless examples of archaeology that has found the Bible is in agreement with those archaeological findings. Uh, unified uh, purpose and theme of the Bible, even though there's more than 40 authors over a span of uh, really a thousand or two years, uh, from from Moses writing the Pentateuch until the uh, apostles, uh, 1500 years, uh, writing uh, the New Testament, and so it's truly. Um, it's truly really amazing, uh, just the unified theme of the Bible and, and how we can prove its inspiration. 
uh, which would help us in, in this particular instance in talking about the flood uh, as well. Um, one other thing, and it's another evidence for the global flood, and that's something called ossiferous fissures. Um, ossiferous fissures or fossil graveyards. And basically this is the idea of the jumbling together of bones of various animals uh, for instance, maybe elephants, rhinoceros, hippo, reindeer, horses, hogs, oxen, um, all together in graveyards that were um, in elevated places such as hills and mountains across the globe. And this jumbling of, of uh, various animals takes place in such a way that you don't find complete skeletons of these animals. You find maybe a femur here, other bones, ribs there of these various animals, animals, and they're all jumbled together in these elevated places called ossiferous fissures or fossil graveyards. And that could be an example of, uh, of proof for a flood type uh, dispersal of these, these animals and fossilization as well. Uh, something called rubble drift, of all this, this rubble drifting into this elevated spot, and then the fossils form, they're found there to this day. I found that really interesting as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think you can see that today, that kind of thing happening even today, just in, in local flooding that happens maybe in your area, and you can see uh, uh, all kinds of debris and rubble builds up in these little sort of uh, eddies, I guess you might say, you right. know, and... Um, uh, they build up on these little side streams and so forth. And so uh, certainly that's consistent with what we know about flooding, uh, that this would happen if you've got, you know, lots of animals being killed, uh, then some of their bodies are going to accumulate in these sort of areas, these kind of eddies uh, and so forth, as, uh, particularly as the, as the flood recedes and so forth. You're going to have them dumped in these areas. And I think that's the other point when you talk about the fact that they're in high elevations. We also find a lot of uh, uh, sea fossils, a lot of uh, sea animals at high elevations as well. And it's something the evolutionists just simply can't explain. Right. We have uh, you know, these kinds of fossils. Why are they represented at such great heights, uh, such great elevations? Um, and the only explanation is if you had a flood which distributed them up in the mountains, essentially, which is what the flood in the Bible, the book of Genesis, describes. And I think that's one of the other things, too. When we look at that kind of evidence and we look at all these other flood myths, they don't really describe that. A lot of them could very well be interpreted as a local flood. Now, they don't necessarily say that, uh, but the Bible is really the only one that's very specific about the level of the flood uh, and the height that it reached. So, um, you know, haven't got that in a lot of these uh, flood myths. So uh, that, of course, is consistent with what we know from these kinds of fossils that are found uh, at high elevations near mountaintops, uh, these sea fossils that uh, that verifies the, the flood account in the Bible rather than these others. It's just another element that gives us faith in what the Bible teaches uh, rather than these sort of other copy myths, I guess you might say, uh, copy stories. Uh, from these uh, various people. Right. And the, uh, if I understand correctly their position on that, uh, the evolutionist would say, uh, for instance, you've got the Rocky Mountains in the U.S., 
and uh, you've got the Appalachian Mountains um, in Arkansas and a little sliver of Oklahoma. You've got the Washita Mountains, uh, and then that kind of leads up into the Ozark Mountains into Missouri. And those mountains, if I if I understand correctly, they say, oh yeah, the the Washita and Ozark mountain ranges, although much smaller than the Rocky Mountains, are actually much more ancient than the Rocky Mountains. And and they'll say, uh, or the Wichita Mountains out in in southwest Oklahoma, I got to visit recently, they'll say the same thing about them. They're much more ancient than the Rocky Mountains. And, and what they'll try to do is they'll say, they used to be even way taller than the Rocky Mountains, but now the Rocky Mountains are the taller ones. And they, they say that uh, millions and millions and millions of years ago, there was this upward shift of land, and all the, the mountains were actually covered with the oceans uh, millions and millions of years ago. And then this upward shift happened, and that's how you got the mountains. And they try to explain the marine fossils on top of mountains uh, that way. My question is, okay, well, if you can believe that, Mr. Evolutionist, why is it such a leap to believe a global flood? To me, a global flood makes much more sense than, well, these mountains jutted out millions of years ago, and then these mountains over here in a different part of the country, uh, they got higher and the other ones got lower. And they try to explain that with the plate tectonics and everything. It just, it makes much more sense to me that a flood happens. You talk about the theory of evolution. Really, it's built upon a whole series of miracles. So, right. You know, these are things that are not scientifically proven. You know, the universe began, well, at least one of the theories is that it was a big bang. Well, what caused that big bang? You know, how did that start? Well, they say, you know, a little bit of condensed matter, you know, exploded one day for no reason uh, and created uh, all of these uh, planetary bodies and galaxies and the universe. I mean, that's fantastic. There's no evidence to support that. There's no, there's no cause for this big bang. There's none of these kinds of things that we would expect to find. There's no evidence out there that we can observe um, in astronomy and so forth uh, in these planetary bodies that indicates that. Uh, and so they believe in miracles, you know, that uh, one that genus can evolve into another. You can have an ape-like creature and he can into a human being. Uh, you know, and things of this nature. None of these things are scientific. They're all supposition. Uh, and it's not ordinary, really, because there's no fact to back it up or even to point you in that direction. So they believe in miracles. So, you know, if you're going to believe in miracles, <laughs> which they do, why not just believe the biblical miracles, right. uh, which have a more reasonable explanation? And in a strange sort of way to say it, is more consistent with what we know from science. For example, if you take the law of biogenesis, we know that the law of biogenesis states that life must come from preceding life. So if you look at the biblical record, that's what it states essentially, that all life on this planet came from once pre-life God. Uh, and we know also from the laws of physics that matter can create itself from thermodynamics. Uh, so um, if matter can create itself, then something beyond matter has to create uh, matter, uh, which leaves you in a different realm of being or a different kind of entity that's beyond the material universe. Right. Which means, of course, we would say the spiritual. Uh, so God has to be spiritual because he has to be above matter in order to be consistent with that. So actually, when we look at the 
a biblical account of the creation of the world and the explanation for all of that, it actually is more consistent with what we know from scientific principle. Uh, so they believe in these fantastic ideas with no cause. They can't tell you what caused that small, compact matter of all the matter to explode. They can't explain really how it became all of these planets and galaxies. They don't explain any of that. Um, they don't explain how the galaxies are, are continuing to speed up and seem to be, a, you know, uh, an explosion doesn't act like that. If there's an explosion, of course, there's an initial emergence of force uh, and things, a shrapnel gets blown up, but eventually it falls and settles. Uh, it slows down, uh, doesn't it? And so right. they can't explain how these galaxies are still accelerating. Um, and so they say, well, maybe we're still in the middle of the Big Bang. But the problem is you'd have to have the heat signature as well. Uh, the universe would have to be very hot, which is not. So, you know, they've got all these problems. Really believing the Bible is much easier. And it's much easier uh, when you talk about scientific principles that we've just mentioned briefly. You know, if you're going to believe in miracles, as you pointed out, you might as well believe in the Bible. It's much more reasonable. <laughs> right. Uh, and consistent with what we've talked about. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. No, that's right. You right. You really have to have a great deal of faith. Exactly. Right. Well, we can certainly have faith in, in God's Word and what we've studied today and uh, throughout God's Word, what we study. And I, I certainly appreciate you for joining us on the podcast today and uh, helping us with the flood. It's always been a fascinating topic for me, I'm sure, as well as you and, and uh, hopefully to the listeners as well. Uh, what time is it in Australia? Uh, it's about uh, 6 a.m., I think. 6 a.m. Got up at and tomorrow for you. So. Right. Uh, we're not we're not allowed to tell you the future in Australia. Oh man. That's something that we we're bound by an oath not to tell anybody on the other side of the world what what's going to happen tomorrow. I can <laughs> tell you what's going to happen in the U.S. election, but I'm not allowed. Oh man. Well, <laughs> that's always fascinating how the international date line uh, separates us, and you've got one side of the world this day and the other side of the world on another day. But, uh, yeah, it is. But I do appreciate you getting up early and joining us on the, on the podcast today. Greatly appreciate that. And I hope things are going well for you and, and the family in Australia. Well, I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Yes, sir. Do you have plans to visit the U.S. anytime soon? Well, obviously I can't at the moment, but, uh, with these COVID restrictions, but I hope to, uh, perhaps we'll Right. Well, hopefully that will be soon. I know it's been a rough year, but uh, we'll all get through it. And uh need to pray for, for our countries in the world and uh, pray for opportunities to uh, preach the word, for sure. That's right. Yes, sir. And that's what we've got to be primarily concerned about, uh, is getting the word out there. I think that'll give people the true kind of peace that they need. And, uh, that's where it's found. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for the Everyday Christian Podcast. Again, we look forward to the rest of this season with the Scattered Abroad Network. I hope that you will uh, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, follow us and, and sub subscribe to the podcast network and all the various podcasts that are on the network. 
Uh, we know that you'll greatly uh, benefit from listening to all these various podcasts, and uh, we put a lot of effort into these, and we just thank you, the listener, for listening, and we hope that you'll continue to join us each week on Mondays for the Everyday Christian Podcast. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.